is going on? Welcome to the show. This is Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm your host, the Iceman, Jeff Trunapole. And as always, I bring you sports from a West Side point of view right here in the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio. Home of Midwest Best, baby. They got Uno Wings. They got G-Funk. They got CTB Wings. They got Delicious Chili. Dude, it is awesome. Go check out Midwest Best. Exactly. They are very delicious. Go check out them every third Saturday. They have ribs. They got the uh, beef brisket stew was the uh, uh, special last week. Week before that was chili. They got beef sandwich or uh, pulled pork sandwiches. I got all kinds of stuff. It is awesome and very delicious. Make sure you check it out. What's up to everybody who's watching the show? Make sure you hit the thumbs up. Hit the subscribe button. I'm on live streaming on ZTV, YouTube, Facebook, X. Rumble, and also if you're checking out on the podcast, what's up? I'm on Beanpod, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitch Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcast. Shout out to Gather Threads. Uh, if you guys go there on uh, through ZTV's link, they got a link there with uh, I got show show stuff on there. I got uh, a water bottle. We got keychains. We got all kinds of different stuff out there for uh, strawberry ice. If you guys want to wear some strawberry ice stuff and uh, support the show, I'd appreciate it. And as always, I'm coming to you live from this uh, glorious place down here. It's the Ice Cave. The Ice Cave is brought to you by T-Properties. T-Properties, quality housing for quality people. Check out the website at www.tpropertiesllc.com for all your rental property management needs and your rental needs. And I know we got Bronson Rio on today, Red's Hall of Fame, but you know, we hit the, I think Bronson would agree with this, we hit the jackpot when we drafted Joe Burrow, he's coming back next year, we are going to be in the AFC Championship game, we're not going to let, Joe Burrow would not lay an egg like Lamar Jackson did yesterday, so make sure you're geared up with the hats, the hoodies, the flags, all that stuff, make sure you check it out at jackpotjoy9.com, portion of the proceeds go to the Joe Burrow Hunger Relief Fund, the Joe Burrow Foundation, the beer is delicious, award winning, it is at Brink Brewery. Again, make sure you check all that out. What's up to everybody in the chat crew? We only got one person chatting or commenting. It's a stranger, so where's everybody else at? Anyway, let's get to my co-host for today. He's from the riverfront. He's Joe Farsing. What's up, Joe? What is happening? Hey, I want to know where I can get some ice merchandise. Like, have a picture of you right here yes. so I can keep you co close to my heart. Like, exactly. All around. I can sleep yeah. with, you know, sleep with your yeah. face. Yeah. Just... Right That's what I'm looking for. That's what I yeah. want. Well, go, go on ZTV online and, and gather threads and check it out. It's right there. There you go. <laughs> hey, you know, let, let's let's get to the man. Let's get to the Reds Hall of Famer. The reason we're all here, he's a friend of the show. I appreciate him. This is like the third time he's been on my show. I appreciate him. He's Bronson Arroyo. Bronson, what's going on, my man? Just hanging out as usual, man. What's going on with you guys? Not, I saw you had the guitar, you know, uh, in the backstage. Are you, you getting ready to, to, to sing a song for us before the show started? Well, no, you know what? I've been writing a lot with a with a kid around town named Joe Jordan, who's just fantastic writer. He writes for for other uh, country artists all day, and uh, I just been bringing him a bunch of folky chords. And uh, we've written fourteen songs in the last ten days, and it's just been wow. it's just been it's been fun because you, you write you write them so quickly within a day, it's hard to then catch up and right. learn them. So I'm trying to learn these songs, you know, <laughs> as I go. So you got a new a new project coming out sometime soon. Not really. I just had the itch to kind of write, and um, it's just been so fun writing. We'll probably, you know, we've got 14 songs now, probably get to 25 songs maybe, and then and then maybe think about something. But, you know, it's weird, man. I went through that last project, and sometimes, you know, just feeling like you own the music in your own hands with a right. guitar can feel like magic. You know, I've played, I played uh, at different charity events over the last week. I've played a couple of these songs to each one of these groups that I was, you know, either helping out somebody that was sick with cancer or, you know, talk, helping out the Reds, um, you know, as they were giving away, um, you know, equipment to, to different teams around here for softball and baseball for, for the high school. So it's just nice to have a guitar with you and to be able to tell some stories that you wrote and uh, especially new ones that you're excited about. Hell yeah. I know I saw you was that, was last year or year before that. I can't remember. I up at the, uh, the Pirates Den and I had a complete blast. So I so anytime you're, you're close to the West Side, man, you got to hit me up because I, I would definitely come and, and check you out. By the way, this is Joe. I don't know if you ever met him. This is Bronson. Joe's from uh, the riverfront. Joe, you got any questions for, for Bronson? First one that's probably the most important. What is the best, like the, the most living your best life moment in your life? Either winning the World Series in 2004 or being on stage with Fenway or at Fenway <laughs> with Pearl Jam, drinking Eddie Vedder's wine, which, which is the like, holy shit, what, what, where am I in my life that this is reality moment? Man, that's a, t that's a really tough one. You know, I mean, 
it, you know, I always say, you know, it's impossible to really kind of compete with anything that you did as a really young age. And when you're a six and seven year old kid throwing a tennis ball against the wall and just fielding the ground ball and thinking this is the last out of the World Series and we're going to finally win this thing, you know, that's your life, your life's work. Hard to compare with that. But when you blend Fenway Park and Pearl Jam into the same stadium and I'm standing on the stage playing my favorite song of all time and I'm watching the moon reflect off of the tarp that's on the mound and I can see 40,000 people and I can still see the shape of the infield because they didn't let anybody in on the infield. So you have this diamond out there, all these people holding up their their, their lighters and their phones with the lights on it and, and he stretched black out to eight minutes that day. I mean... Honestly, it's a, it's a coin toss, man. Both of those times, you got to pinch yourself and say, hey, this is what we came to do, and we're here doing it. We yeah, watched dude, it I, this I, afternoon, and uh, how underrated is Mike McCready, by the way? Like, I'm, Pearl James is my favorite band, like it's, and he's not mentioned among the guitar greats, but I really think he needs to be, um, especially just, just the version that you, know, that you were talking about at, uh, at Fenway. I was watching that earlier, and he's just so good. And some of the tones that he plays, I'm, I'm not a guitarist, I'm terrible. I've got a bass in my corner that I have no idea what to do with. But um, <laughs> where are you on the Mike McCready needs more of bandwagon? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of like, uh, I think maybe he was just born in the wrong generation in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> I mean, like, he's on par with, with, all, with all the greats from the old days and guys that he obviously has copped little pieces of theirs and blended into his own vibe. Yeah. Like, you listen to, like you said, just that version of Black and Fenway Park there. And, you know, he can bring so many different tones and different styles. And, you know, that's what was so great about that version of it was that Eddie just gave him this time to stretch it out. And me and Stone and Eddie were on the other side of the stage just having a nice little jam together. But, uh, but, but you know, McCready definitely hasn't gotten his due other than probably Chris Cornell has really given him, you know, yeah. some love over the years yeah. mm -hmm. before he passed away. But, um, but I, think, I think when it's all said and done, it's going to take a little while because Pearl Jam is still out there performing. But I think at some point, He'll probably get his justice, you know, after those guys are off the stage, which I don't know when that's going to be because I think they got right. another decade in them for sure. Oh, at least, at least that—that that is one of my uh, my radio stations. All my favorites for uh, Sirius Satellite is is uh, Pearl Jam. I listen to it uh, often. Uh, though we got a question um, from Natron here. He wants to know, and uh, if you'll be doing any Reds on radio work in the future. You know, it's it's usually spur of the moment. I don't have any plans, but they usually call me once in a while when when maybe somebody's sick or if somebody bails out the back door and they need some help. Um, you know, for me, the, the, the real reason I don't, you know, want to put stuff on the schedule is because I'm, I'm always so busy, honestly, just trying to do my own hobbies, right? Between music, playing some golf, snow skiing, traveling with some friends. It feels like you say yes to a couple charity events, you help the Reds out here and there. And I, and I find myself where my wife is always saying, man, you're, you're never home. When, when you coming home, bro? <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, just for that reason, it's like, you know, I feel so limited in my time. You know, I just came back from New York yesterday. I was doing a couple of kids camps for an old teammate back in my old pirate days from the rookie league. Right. Wow. So yeah, yeah. yes, there's so many different things that a lot of times to be to put, you know, a full time thing on the schedule and say, hey, I'm going to do 20 games this year for the Reds. Right, right. At this point in my life, it just isn't feasible. Well, I appreciate you making time to come on my show because I know, I know you are a business guy. I, I try not to bug you to get you come on. I try to get you on at least once a year, and I, I appreciate you coming on. And I know you're a busy dude, and people just have enjoyed. I mean, anytime you come on the show, I get so much compliments of, of what a great interview you are and, and, and how, you know, different stuff you're into because people are interested in not only your baseball mind but also your music and what you're doing there and stuff like that. So you you got a, a bride, uh, broad broad variety of things that you do which i think is very unique for baseball players most of the time they're just baseball players and not a whole lot else but you're a you're a musician as well yeah you know i mean part of the fact is that i didn't have a family right i didn't i didn't have kids of my own and and um you know that is where i see a lot of guys you know if you go around town now anywhere especially in florida where i grew up you know you see guys in miami constantly old teammates who are coaching their kids baseball teams and now travel ball is so accessible and so oh, yeah. popular that you know, sometimes that becomes a full job where they're coaching their kids and they want to see them in that, you know, that 10 to 10 to 15, 16 year old range. They really want to make sure that they understand the game and try to give them an opportunity to play at the big league level themselves or at least get a free education in college. But because I didn't have kids like that, you know, it leaves me a little bit more wide open to kind of do some more things. Honestly, a lot of times for myself. And, you know, I've seen so many guys struggle with with after the game is being played. And if their kids are really small and they're just driving them to and from school every day and you know, when you're playing at the top of the mountain, right? I mean, even if you're not winning the world championship every year, just a big league ball, you know, team, a big league, 
baseball game is absolutely, you know, it's just fantastic to be there in, in a rush that you don't quite realize is kind of the undercurrent of your life until you're not there anymore. And you realize, hey, nobody's asking you questions after a game anymore. Nobody cares where you are. You can do whatever you want. Sometimes guys struggle with depression, the str struggle with right. stress and anxiety over the fact that they're not kind of in the boys club anymore. And so I try to keep myself busy. You know, I've always been a guy who moved the ball around a lot, whether it's having a lot of friends and not getting as much time as I would like with each one, but spending smaller amounts of time with, with, with many more. Um, that's kind of the way I've kind of like designed my life. Now, you know this is going to come up, because this comes up like every time you come on the show here, but it's, uh, Nate right here, uh, it said, uh, he said he still remembers the iconic, and I mean iconic JTM commercial with you and uh, you and uh, Chris Welch. And I ask you this, I think every time you come on here, are we going to get a sequel to this? I mean, I, I, this, this has got to happen sometime, Prots. And I, this, is, this is such a cool commercial, and everybody always talks about it. Yeah, I, I would be pumped to do it. I know Welch would be up for it. We always... <laughs> You know, we have we have had some really good laughs yeah. over the years watching the, watching those back, and it was such a, uh, you know, we didn't know we were getting into it. It turned out to be, you know, something that was was there were so many different versions of it. It, right. it turned out to be almost like a cult thing. Right. And uh, I, you know, I heard, you know, we're together again. I heard that when I was growing up in the bullpen for the next ten years. You know, but um, <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be a sequel because. Well, you know, I don't even know, you know, what direction JTM is in these days. Yeah, back, back then, whoever was in the front office really enjoyed the Reds and they enjoyed my style and they thought it'd be a, a quirky thing to do or a funny thing to do. But I don't I don't know who's management over there anymore. But if they approach us, I'm sure that we could get it done. So so would people actually like sing you the song while you're in the bullpen? Is that what you're saying? Oh, oh yeah. Every time I'm working out. <laughs> Just here, we're together again. <laughs> I, look, I try. I, I sing on the on the show, but I am not going to sing next to you because you sing way better than I do. So, <laughs> yeah, it was it was one of those things, man, that you just thought, you know. And, and I don't know if I told you that story, but the day we went to film that commercial, I actually it was in the off season that year, right. and I showed up to the park and I wanted to grab a quick bite to eat, and I went to grab some Cheerios, and they had been sitting there for the last couple of months, so they were stuck to the bottom of this glass square glass thing. And when I went to pour them out, nothing came out. So I just tapped it like that and it exploded and cut my left thumb so bad oh that I had, I had to be put under by Dr. Kremchek and he had to give me an arm block and sew me up. So we had to come back on the one-off day during spring training. And back then we were still in Arizona, uh, Sarasota and me and Welsh had to fly up and do the commercial because I, I couldn't finish the, the job that day. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't know. Doc Kremchek to, to the rescue as always. Go ahead, Joe. What do you got? Um, you were talking about before, like players, when they kind of reach the end of their careers, like not really knowing what to do with themselves. You were out of the game for not out of the game, but you had your Tommy John surgery in 2014, kind of rehab for two years. It, was that kind of the reason you had to play and why you came back to Cincinnati in 2017? Just wanted to kind of go out on your own terms or just you didn't you wanted to see if you still were able to get batters out or what was the what was the thought process? I mean, we, we loved having you back as, you know, as Cincinnati Reds fans, but. Yeah, you know, it was it was a situation where, you know, I I had pitched 19 and a half seasons without missing a start. And that was from yeah. the day I graduated high school until 2017. I pretty much stayed healthy the whole time, stayed off the disabled list, made every one of my starts. And I always found a way out of the rabbit hole, right? Because it wasn't like I was healthy that whole time. There were times when your Tommy John ligament was sore, you could barely do a pull-up, but you'd find ways to get out of the mound and get through that one and then make it to the next one and get it a little healthier and continue on. And I just loved that challenge. And so... I really beat myself up really bad. Um, I pitched six or eight times. I can't remember which one after my Tommy John ligament broke and my shoulder was tore with Arizona. But the, the, the GM, the GM, um, you know, would call me into the office with Kirk Gibson and they, they tried to pull me out of rotation. And I just said, listen, you guys are paying me big money to be here. I'm at the end of my career. Just let me roll with it, man, to see if I can survive this thing. And, and I kept winning games. My velocity was going down, down, down from 90 miles an hour down to about 79. And eventually, my elbow was so swollen up and so beat up at Dodger Stadium. I beat Josh Beckett 2-1 to one in Dodger Stadium. Didn't crack 80 miles an hour, but a handful of times that day. And, and got that last win. And then I got checked out by the doctors. And he said, hey, you have no ligament in your elbow and your shoulders tore. So, you know, it was, it was a bit of a surprise for me because I was in pain. But I just didn't think I was broke. I thought it was like my forearm just being a little, you know, irritated or something. So, in the end, I wind up having the two surgeries. And most people usually come back from the Tommy John in about 12 months, maybe 12, 18 months. But the shoulder is kind of a, 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 a thing that most guys don't come back from. But right. I, I just felt like I didn't want to have the jersey taken off my back by something else that wasn't in my control. And so I was I really went hard 
with the Diamondbacks for the next couple of years to try to get healthy. And I could not get my elbow to stop hurting or my shoulder. And so I finally thought, I think it may be healthy enough to maybe survive a season. Let me come back to Cincinnati where I know they trust me. They know they're going to enjoy me as, as a guy inside the clubhouse and what I can bring to the young guys um, as, a, as a leader and as my character inside that room. And if I survive it, then maybe I'll go somewhere else and continue to maybe pitch out of the bullpen. Or if, if my arm feels great, I'll continue starting. Um, but I thought it was the place that if I did, didn't survive it, I wanted to retire in this uniform. I'd been here for eight years. It felt like home. You know, Dick Williams was the general manager at the time. And really his only concern was, hey, he's like, I'm worried that if you get hurt again, we're going to have to pay for your surgery. And I don't want to do that. And I said, listen, man, if my arm breaks, I'm done. There's no, there, there is no more surgery. It's like, I'm, I'm walking away unless, you know, the whole thing's hanging or something. So he felt comfortable with that. And we gave it a shot. And for, for three months, I was leading the team in wins, yeah. but my velocity was going down and, and my shoulder was just killing me. My elbow was hurting. I just could not get my arm to feel good. Well, anyway, I, I, I loved it that you came back. You retired as red. I wish that would happen more often. I wish that would happen with Joey Votto. Um, I don't still, he hasn't signed with anybody yet. Are you kind of surprised where Vado's at that he hasn't signed with anybody or he just hasn't decided to retire or anything like that? What's your thoughts on Vado? No, I know what he's going through. You know, listen, when I, 2000, at the end of 2013, it was the first time and the only time I was a free agent, really, mm -hmm. right? I had never missed a start in my career. By all accounts, I'm a great teammate, right? I don't have a draft pick tagged to me because they offered me a qualifying offer. And so, so it was like, you know, the easiest thing. I mean, anybody should sign Bronson Roy to a two-year deal. And I only got three offers that offseason. I had the Giants make me an offer in the first two weeks. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for the fact, they offered me two for 25, two for 24. And the only reason I didn't sign it, because I would have loved to have been a Giant. But, you know, they just signed um, Lincecum yeah. for, for two for 37. And his numbers were really bad three years in a row. Like, really bad. Like, five and a half ERA. And he, you could just see that he was, wasn't the same guy he used to be. Right. And I just felt like, man, if they gave him 37, I don't know if I can stand in the locker room with a guy, you know, that, that the last two or three years, I put up way better numbers. And so I was going to wait it out a little bit. So right. they went ahead and signed, um, I believe it was, um, they signed Tim Hudson instead for that money. And so then that came off the table. And then I, I really only got two more offers that offseason. It was the Diamondbacks and the Orioles. And I found myself sitting at home, and that was late into February. So I got that first offer, like, in early November. I didn't hear back from, from another team, really, for a real offer until early February. It was just before spring training started. So Joey's in a situation where everybody is trying to lock their rosters in with the best young guys they can, right. and he's going to be an afterthought. And, and you know, the, the way that it looks like from the player side is, hey, man, look how much I've done in my career you know, you should give me a little bit more respect, but you know, the business of baseball does not care about loyalty yeah. or your old, old numbers, man. And, and at the end of the day, it happens to almost everybody. And so Joey's going to be kind of the last man signed by some team just before spring training starts. And you hope that, you know, at least somebody gives him a big league offer and makes him, you know, gives him a guaranteed deal. And he comes to the big league camp because there could be somebody who says, Hey, we're going to, we're going to bring in the big league camp on, on non-roster. And we'll see if you make the club. I mean, you just don't know. The tide can turn so quickly in your career. Yeah, and with Vado, with his, his numbers, the way he was last year. One thing I, I enjoyed and respect about Vado last year is he his numbers went, his Hall of Fame numbers went down last year because the way he was trying to attack the ball and la launch it compared to what he used to do because he couldn't do that anymore. So he's trying trying to do what he could to help the team. So that's where I always – I respected Joey Vado for, for doing that. I would love to see him – not putting Bell's uniform on as a Reds fan. That's just me. But I don't I don't know if that's gonna happen. The one team that I would be okay with is if he went home to to his hometown team, Toronto. I think that'd be cool if he had to finish, you know, you know, one finish out the year with Toronto and then come back and sign at least sign a one day contract with the Reds and retire a Red is what I'd like to see. But um I think Votto is probably the next Red to get his number retired. I I, I don't know of uh, anybody anybody else that might get their their uh their number retired. Do you, do you got anybody off the top of your head there, Bronson? No, not really. You know, I think Joey is, you know, it's getting harder and harder these days to amass numbers with one club mm -hmm. because guys move around so often. Right. So it's, it's very few and far between that, that people stay on teams long enough to even get into their Hall of Fame or have their number be retired. And and Joey obviously has played his entire career here, which, you know, he got a no trade clause in a town. They didn't really want to give any. You know, I asked for a no trade clause. When I was, you know, 34, 35 years old and Bob Castellini didn't want to set a precedent. He didn't want to give it to me. Um, 
you know, and Joey got one of those. So it was nice for him to be able to stick in this town. That was a little bit more his speed, but you know, if he wants to play baseball again, it's probably gonna have to be somewhere else. There's so many young guys on this, yeah. this team that you're not going to go back and say, Hey, you know, maybe if you were on the verge of winning a world series, like, and you thought you could do it like right now with Joey Votto at first base every day, then maybe you give him that last chance. But at this point, they have so much young blood in this organization. And a lot, some of those guys are going to end up in AAA as well that you think might be on the big league club. So it's going to be tough for him to come back here. And I think he's probably still got enough fire in his belly that he needs to get it out in one more season, right. at least somewhere else. And, and really affirm in his mind, like, Hey, I'm done. Or right. you know what? There's still some juice in the tank here to DH. And, right. and I'm going to go ahead and get a couple more years out of this. Joe, what do you got? I mean, yeah, he seems like a guy. He wants to be the one to say I'm done. Not the other, not the 30 teams in MLB, you know, saying he's actually not signing him to a contract. Um, I think we are missing somebody whose number could get retired. The immortal number 74, uh, Ricky Karcher. <laughs> <laughs> wild thing, baby, wild thing. <laughs> he is to date the one and only player in Cincinnati Reds history to wear number 74. So, um, they say we just ended right here. We hang it up and, and, and we just immortalize. Take down the rounding third heading for home quote and put down holy shit at, 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 on, on the top edge of the uh, side of Great American Ballpark. Bronson, did, did you see that interview? That was, that was one of the best interviews I think I ever heard. That was so funny last year. I, I did not. It was it was awesome. It was, in, it was out in Arizona, wasn't it? No, it was in Kansas City. So, Kansas I mean, City, that's right, up, Kansas City. Yeah, he, I, I, I don't know. What, he, he walked like seven or eight batters per nine in AAA. He gets called up because literally everybody else is injured, and he gets called in to close a game. And it hit, looked like the actual pitch box. I, I think he threw three pitches in the strike zone over four or five batters. Uh, a couple guys like that rolled over. Someone popped one out. Um, amazingly got out of the game, got the save in his major league debut. Jim Day goes on the field to interview him and, and just kind of asking, and, and everybody, like everybody on the Reds dug out, like they're still on the railing, just uh, watching the interview. And he said, you know, well, how, how did that feel? And, and just the only thing on live TV was, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the only, only time he ever fa- uh, played MLB Mound and the Reds uh, sent him back down and uh, he's was, he, he's gone he's now. Yeah, he, he's yeah, yeah, another, yeah. another organization though. Oh, yeah. That, that was unbelievable. Uh, but, but Bronson, you talk about the, the young talent that the Reds had this year. Um, where are you at on the Reds' offseason? Because they did add pitching, and they added veteran pitches. Not not the big number one starter that some of us would like like them to have, but I think they got the potentials in, in, in Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft, Abbott. Uh, you know, those four have all kinds of potential. What's your thoughts on the, the young pitching staff and the guys they brought in? You know, the Reds are in a situation where they just can't afford to go out right now and get a $150 million starter, right? And, you know, they saw they saw what happened last year with the young youth, with speed, with defense, right? You feel like you probably have not seen the best of Ashcraft, Dolo, or Green yet, right? Like, you haven't mm-hmm. seen them 100% healthy. You haven't seen them for long periods of time be able to dominate the game. They've done it in short spurts. And then there's spurts where they're getting killed. And then you look at the season, it's like, okay, it's mediocre, we need, we need to, you know, you need to see two out of every three starts be really, really solid for the entire season, not, you know, every other one, right? 50% versus like 75% is, is worlds apart. And um, I think that that is still going to be the core of this team. And so I don't think there's a reason to go out and sign a big guy right now, you know, because honestly, it feels like, you know, you're not sure if this team can get to the big dance, right? You're not sure if they're there yet, if they're mature enough yet. And you really want to affirm that, I think, before you go out and really stick your neck out monetarily. And I know from having conversations with Phil Castellini over the last couple of years that, you know, it's becoming harder and harder all the time with the TV deals with the bigger teams like the Dodgers and the Red Sox to even keep up in that capacity as it is. And you don't want to be, you don't want to be going trying to be somebody you're not, right? We talk about all the time, like, you know, you don't go out there and try to throw 95 if you're a guy who throws 87, right? Because you're going to lose command and you're just going to get hurt and you're going to get beat anyway, right? So as an organization, you've got to kind of stick to what you're doing. And I know that on the, on the scouting side, they're being really patient and really smart about what they're doing. They're getting a lot of young guys, a lot of prospects that are coming through the organization. It's probably the best class of guys we've seen homegrown in a really, really long time. <laughs> yeah, I think they're being... I think they're being really, really smart, strategic about it. And I don't know when the whole thing will blossom, but I really like what I'm seeing, you know, from top to bottom in the organization. Exactly. Joe, what do you got? Because you, you had some uh, questions from your uh, Slack Slack channel viewers, don't you? We had a few of them. I already had a couple of them. But uh, one of this is my, my favorite question. So on Baseball Reference, you know, it, it lists all the nicknames uh, of yours. 
what is the favorite nickname of yours that, that's listed? Saturn Nuts, uh, Smokey, Tex, Dirty, Royo, or Free Love? I know was my favorite Sa is Saturn, Saturn Nuts. Nuts. Did you get Saturn Nuts? Is that... <laughs> you gotta explain that yeah. one to me, Bronson. <laughs> that's, that's a crazy story. Um, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of times your nickname in the game will be something that you say all the time. So. I called everybody Smokey all the time, so then you, you get called Smokey because you call everybody else Smokey, right? Right. And, right. and um, but Kevin Millar was a guy who used to give out a lot of nicknames, and some of that landed on me. But the Saturn Nuts one, I'm pitching in Boston in '04, early on in the season, and and I came up in '03 as well, and pitched out of the bullpen, and nobody knew who nobody knew who I was, except I'd thrown a perfect game in AAA. So I come up, you know, thinking I won't even make the playoff roster, and I kind of snuck on that playoff roster and wind up pitching in in big games against the Yankees in the playoffs that year. And, you know, somebody, there was a boosters club for the Red Sox that was around all the time. And they used to send us sometimes little um, cards in our mailboxes. And it was just a card that came in and basically said something like, man, you know, you look like you're, you're 16 years old out there, but you've got balls the size of Saturn, man. So we're going to start calling <laughs> you Saturn nuts. <laughs> and after that, somehow it made its way onto my Wikipedia page or on baseball reference. <laughs> As a, as a legit, no, no teammate ever called me that, but in Boston, people knew that name because of that reference that came through. Oh, dude, that's that's awesome. I, 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 I might have to refer to you as that now. I like that one. <laughs> that's cool. That's very cool. Uh, Joe, you got, you got anything else from, from your uh, questions there? Um, is A-Rod still a douchebag going all the way back to uh, the playoffs there? I don't Cut know. To the chase. I, listen, I know it's been I, 20 years, but it, it's, you know, the whole smacking the ball at it. Like that's. I know. The truth is I'm, I've been getting mixed signals over the last couple of years. I've never had a conversation with Alex Rodriguez ever in person. I've, I played against him in high school, but this, the, the whole thing goes way back. It goes back to 04 after we win the world series. And they asked Trot Nixon something about Alex. And he said, he didn't think Alex was a true Yankee, whatever that meant. So they came, the media came to me. And they asked me, you know, what do you think about Alex Rodriguez? They're asking me a few questions. And I, I must have said 20 great things about him. Like I, I said, you know, he's one of the greatest players of all time and he hasn't even retired yet, right? Like, I mean, you can't you can't deny the guy's numbers. I mean, he's a huge guy who played shortstop to the elite level, had speed, could steal bags, power, hit the ball the other way. I mean, he had everything, right? And I said all these great things about him. And then I said, the only thing that I remember about him from high school, because I said I played against him a game in high school. I was a sophomore, he was a senior. This is 1993, we're in my hometown. And we're tied. Um, it was 3-3. We tied him. We played him to a tie. We missed the squeeze in the sixth inning to win the game. And it's 3-3. Alex comes up for his fourth at bat in the ninth inning and hits a 2-2 changeup out of the park, and they win 4-3. But earlier in the game, I was on second base around the second or third inning, and Alex was playing shortstop. And he walked up to the umpire and said, tell that umpire we get those calls back home on a couple of close pitches. And I thought that was – unbelievably cocky or brash for an 18 year old to say that or 17 year old to say that to an umpire in a game. And um, so I told that story and the next day, I think it was in the New York times. It said Arroyo's disdain for a rod goes back to high school. <laughs> That's so, a bit of a reach. <laughs> right. Whole list of stuff and they pull one quote. <laughs> right. So you know how they like to do it. So they yeah. obviously went and asked him about it. He referenced to me as Brandon. Like he didn't know my name, you know, he's basically saying, Hey, you're just a peon. I don't know who you are, man. Right. Right. And, and I was compared to the level he's on, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, since that day, I know people who've tried to have conversations with him about me and he's acted like he didn't want to, he didn't want to talk about me, but I'll say last year I was playing a show in Boston, a little like surprise show when I was about to put that record out in February and a big guy from behind me grabs me. And I could tell it's somebody who really knows me well, he wouldn't have grabbed me like that out of the blue. And it was Julian Tavares the old relief pitcher for the yeah, Cleveland yeah. Indians Cardinals and me and Julian were in spring training together. And we kind of hit it off. And, and he said, he hangs out with Alex. And that night he kept saying to me, if you come through Miami, let me know. Alex would love to have lunch with you. So maybe he'd love to sit down and chat. I, I don't, I don't know, but sometimes I, you know, I've heard all these mixed signals over there. I also have heard from my old strength coach from the Reds, Matt Krause, who was here for eight years. One of my favorite guys I ever was around the game. He, he went to the Yankees for five years and he said, Alex, was a, a guy who just loved baseball so much. He helped all the young guys out. He said he, he'd, play, he'd hit in the nine hole and, and play left field if you asked him to. And, and, and he said that Jeter would not do that. And he said he thought that, you know, Alex in a lot of ways was, was a better teammate than, than, than Derek. And so, you know, you get these mixed things. And so if you don't know somebody on a personal level, it's very difficult to say.
Right, and, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Jeter should have been the one moved off of a shortstop, yeah. not A Rod. Yeah, were, he should have. Right. But um, I, I think you should go out to lunch with him, and and he's you know since he's the, the big money guy, he's gonna put his check out, and just slap the check out of his hand, <laughs> like he did in the playoffs. And like, no, no, I got this man. <laughs> knock, knock the black card out of his hand and, and, and pull out my debit card. <laughs> exactly. Yep. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. All right. With with uh, Alex Rodriguez and uh, in my opinion. The, the, all the PED guys or whatever, Bonds, Clemens, Alex, all these guys should be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. That's just where I'm at. The, the, Bud Seelick's in the Hall of Fame. He was commissioner of baseball when all this is going on. Uh, we just had the, the, the Hall of Fame, uh, the newest guys in there. What's your thoughts on the, the PED guys? Do, do you think – I mean, I don't think they'll ever they'll never get in because they're not going to let Pete Rose in. I don't think they're ever going to let these guys in. I know it's two different things, but, right. but baseball is pretty stubborn on this. What's your thoughts on uh, the PED guys? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think they're going to get in either unless unless the entire generation of the voting crowd, which is a lot of the beat writers, maybe if you have a turnover of a younger group, and I'm talking, you know, another 30, 40 years from now, maybe if everybody's died off, maybe they have a chance. But for me personally, I, I'm, with, I'm with you. You know, I think I think there was a time there was a time when we know so many guys were doing steroids that are in the Hall of Fame, and, and a lot of these guys were suspected of it. And um, guys like Bonds never even tested positive, even though we know he was on it, right? But he didn't test positive for it. It's like, I feel like we should just take it as an era of like, this was the steroid era. These are the best players of that era and they deserve to be in there. That's the way I see it. You know, we cleaned up the game after 2003. We've been testing and they're going to be testing on into the future. And it's, it's, it's been a clean game for the most part for a long time now. And um, I, I just feel like it's a shame that a guy... All those guys, at the end of the day, who took steroids away from them, I still think they're probably the best yeah. of their class. Yeah. And especially especially guys like Bonds, obviously. Um, and so it's it's a bit of a shame, you know. And it's obviously, to me, it's even more of a shame that Pete's not in there. But, um, you know. I don't think that's ever happening either. So. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. the, the, the Hall of Fame literally has to change their laws. When he was coming up. Well, that, but when, they when, changed when, the law. After they banned him, so that that's a piss well, yeah, me off. Well, well, that's the thing. Baseball banned him, yeah. And then 1991, when he was coming up for induction, the Hall it. of Fame added the bylaw. If you're on baseball's exist, so MLB has nothing to do with him. No, with Pete Rose not yeah. being in the Hall of Fame, but, um, but I mean, like, I will never in my lifetime see a hitter as dominant or as just great, like must-watch TV as uh, Barry Bonds in his prime. I mean, Shohei Otani's fantastic. Mike Trout. Ellie De La Cruz, like you've got, to, he, he's going to do something like insane Bonds every would play. Hit but one pitch yeah. and he'd hit it. He'd kill one it. pitch. He yeah, got sorry. he got walked with the bases loaded several times. Like that. That's the, the respect that you know the managers have. Like they they know you're going to kill that pitch no matter you know you've got he's leaned so far over the plate the strike zone is basically this big. He's got that had that big ass elbow thing so you could throw him with 105 miles an hour and and you know he's just going to brush it off but. Watching that guy hit was probably the and unless it was you know often against you know the red well, team. What was it like trying to get him out there, Bronson? That would be my question. What was it like trying to get him out? It just felt impossible. You know what I mean? I, I faced him. I faced him. I'm guessing here like 11 to 13 times or something like that. I don't think he ever got a hit on me, but I probably walked him like seven or eight times. Who knows? You know. But the the thing is, you know, he was he was like the one kid. You know, when you're 12 years old, that is just so far and away better than everyone else. He doesn't even seem like he needs to be playing in the league. And he's right. doing that to the best players in the world. I mean, Albert Pujols is probably the second best guy I ever faced in my career. I faced him a lot more times and more in his prime than, than Barry. But Bear, what Barry did there, like you said, being walked even in the playoffs with bases loaded, you know, only getting one pitch, being walked, you know, however many ridiculous amount of times it was that one year, yeah. you know, compared to how many times he struck out. I mean, he just... He was head and shoulders there for a while where it just almost like he was playing in a league of his own. Yeah. It, it, Looks like it, he was one for eight against you with four walks. Oh, there so. you go. There you go. Mate. So he did get it. That's, yeah. called, that's called domination, Bronson. You got him. You exactly. got him. You held the best hitter, the most dominant guy. hitter. I'll tell you the one guy that I am proud that didn't get a hit off me, and I know and I know he knows this stat, is uh, Jose Altuve. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody else in the game that's faced Jose more than ten times that he didn't get a hit off him. For whatever reason – he just he couldn't get a hit off me. He kept grounding out the shortstop and third base for me. And, and uh, when my career was over, um, somebody told me that he was very aware of that. He's like, man, I hate that Bronson Arroyo. <laughs> get him out on his front foot. Exactly. So, Bronson, I, I see the guitar in the background. You had it, you know, strumming before the, before the show started. You got any new songs that you – I'm going to put you on the spot. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. You got any new songs sure. you want to play or anything? 
Yeah, I don't know if you can hit. I, you know, if there's a delay, I don't. Is there a delay here? Can, does it look like I'm? No, you're good. You're good. You're good. That sound okay? Sounds great. Go yeah, for it, man. I'll play little. I'll play little pieces of this one. Uh, this one's like a pop country song. It goes like, "Thought uh, breaking up in a small town would be hard. Thought of seeing you walking down Main, wrapped up in another man's arms. I thought of people staring at me, wondering how I did you wrong. Yeah." That ain't the way it plays out in this here song. You said he was just a friend, and I believed you then. I caught you at the bar with your lips on him. And we broke up, and he left you. I found somebody new. I remind me in the same small town as you, because even your mom and dad, when they see you around town, say, you're the one that messes up and they have for me now. And now we have to fall with the friends of our strength. You hold up in a one bedroom, one about what they might think. Yeah, I love this town, thought I'd ever back it up and leave it. But breaking up in a small town ain't hard. You ain't the one that cheated. You're the one that cheated. Fantastic. That's is that some of the, the new songs you've been writing here lately? Yeah, I've mostly been writing folk folky songs. Um, I just had all these folky ideas in my phone, and you know, a lot of times I'm working out in the basement um, early in the day, and there's something about there's something about working out that gives you some endorphins, right? So your brain starts operating a little bit on a different level than it is when you're not. And um, a lot of times I'll listen to an album that some that I know is a great album from the past that I haven't personally listened to. Because right, I, right. I actually was, wasn't really a big historian of music for a long time. And so I'll listen to a record and it always inspires a little something. And I'll just throw it down in my phone, like a little idea. And I've had, you know, the last year and a half, I just have a bunch of them in there. And I'm, we're starting to flush through those and turn them into songs. Like I said, my buddy Joe Jordan, he's just lyrically just so fast and so good at telling a real seamless story that it's been really fun over the last couple of months. So what, 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 like, I guess you said the gym, but what, what, like, what inspires you? Do you look at things like during your day-to-day -day life and, and, and different things you've went through to, to create songs, or is it just, just something that just pops in your head? How, how does that, how, how do you get an idea for a song? No. So for me, it's, it's, I, when I say I get an idea, it's about chord changes and like a mel a, me a melody of a feel, right? Okay. So, so it might be like, uh, I, I would just sit and basically, you know, maybe put, if I, if I did something like this and I just, I would just be like, um, start humming something what is it it's like you do that and then you you, fuck, you just finding right what what does that feel like what does that sound like you're you're, you're so you, i'm just looking for a mood mm -hmm. and like and then once you find the mood you start humming something and then usually when you hum almost a bunch of gibberish you find a couple of words in there right. that you, when you listen back you're like oh it says that it says celebrate life. It sounded like I was saying celebrate life, right? And this feels right. like this really moody song. And then I present that to a guy like Joe, tell him, and then he says, what do you want to write it about? And based on what it feels like, mm -hmm. I will then come up with an idea. And most of my ideas are not that personal. You know, okay. I've been like a, I grew up in a, I think I probably told these stories before where I was a young kid in the weight room, right? Mm -hmm. Lifting really heavy weight with my father. But at the same time, he was also talking about philosophy of life. So right. he was always talking about just, making the glass half full in all circumstances. And he was talking about like when somebody puts a gun in your mouth, like at the most extreme, like when you're going to die, right. um, still being optimistic in those situations. And so he made me think that everything was always, you know, uh, you could get through it. Yes. Everything, was yes. everything was surmountable. Right. And so mm -hmm. for that reason, I really like, a lot of people love to listen to like things that are a little bit more harsh, a little mm -hmm. sadder. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I usually don't write about myself. There'll be pieces of myself inside the songs. And usually it'll be the little optimistic parts in a song. But if you're trying to write something that maybe somebody else will listen to, you try to write things on the way that most people operate. And there's a lot, a lot more people in the world who operate on, you know, a little bit of sadness and a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of stress and right. all the bad relationships. And I've been able to avoid most of that in my life, but you, you want to write music that more people can listen to. And so a lot of times, you know, you're, you're kind of inventing a story in, in a lot of ways and just, you know, weaving your own life in it um, slightly. Yeah, no, I, I like I, I try to do that, too, is, is the positive side of life, because there's there's a 
whatever happens, you can get through it in life. You just got to keep moving forward, you know. And that, that's a good good way. Because I know you and me have talked about this before on the show on, on how that's just a good way to, to handle things. Because sometimes people get depressed about this. And that's not going right. That's not going right. Well, you just try to look at everything, you know, in a positive direction. Okay, all right, well, this didn't work out, but I, I but this did. I keep moving on. I keep moving on. And that's what I, I think you've done a great job throughout your whole career, you know, just how you got, dealt with your arm injury. Right. And, you know, that, that was what that was what made me who I was on the mound a lot of times. You know, you felt a little bit more unflappable than other guys because I had my emotions in check. And I, I didn't let the negativity kind of over overtake me and show that physically to other teams. Right. And there was a, it was a lot, of, a lot of the reason why I could kind of like, you know, keep my eye on the prize, start out with a bad inning and give up three runs and still give you a quality start, right? And so, you know, all those things, all those childhood days in that weight room with me really made me who I was mentally. And I, my skill set wasn't good enough to, to, to beat big league hitters for 20 years, you know. But what was between my ears put enough enough yes, into the yes. recipe to allow to allow me to do that. And so, you know, I'm trying to use that now to, to try to write some music. It's a, Writing music's a little tougher than throwing a strike, but, <laughs> but we're working I don't, on you, it. You did pretty good. <laughs> So I, hopefully YouTube won't copyright me on this because they're your songs and you're actually singing them. So if you got another one you want to play, go for it. Sure. I'll play you. This one, my, my, my center fielder from high school actually uh, died of COVID during 2020. And the, the inception for this one is, is thinking about him a little bit. But this, these are all both, these are all written within the last couple of weeks. But this one okay. goes, um... Just a Thursday all of you ain't it awfully strange what a memory can do it's just a tree brown and green but it spoke to me rustling leaves in the breeze People just have the electric here. little electric lighter thingy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Not the That's same effect. So, but, let me ask. So, uh, like your album covering the bases, that was. I mean, I love every single song that was put on there. I mean, it's all grunge stuff, stuff that I listen to. Um, I was listening. You only have a handful of songs on Spotify. Whoever's in charge of that, they need. You need to get more music up. Yes. Yes. Because uh, I, was, I was listening to. Um, uh, what's the? I mean, you've got the album cover behind you. Oh, oh, oh! The uh, covering the base. I mean, uh, some might say. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, some might say. Uh, I listened to that earlier today. Um, wh- who are you listening to now that's kind of giving you more influences? I mean, obviously, it, it's, it, you're, it sounds less grunge alternative-ish, more kind of, I don't say Chris Stapleton, but. Yeah, well, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I obviously love Pearl Jam. It's my favorite band yep. of all time. And I wrote a lot of the record, the rod of that record, the Some Might Say record, from the standpoint of like a full band, kind of riff-driven, 
and something that I really can't pull off on the acoustic guitar myself. And I just, I've just found over the years that, um, you know, I mean, people are gravitating towards, uh, you know, pop country, you know, the Morgan Wallens of the right, world. Right. And, mm -hmm. and now you've got guys like Zach Bryant who are playing these songs that feel like you're just telling, you know, almost old war stories around a campfire. And I've been really drawn to the Lumineers over, you know, th their entire so good. Um, spectrum of three or four albums. And, and I love those songs. And I always wanted to write songs in that way that I could just grab an acoustic guitar and you could really feel it, give somebody goosebumps. You know, it's a, it's a kind of a different vibe than, than the straight down the pipe rock and roll thing. And, and so um, I just wanted to try my hand at it. I'm really enjoying writing these songs now. They, they have a little bit more of a story and it's more intimate. And so I don't really know what I'm going to do with them or how they'll shake out. But, you know, when you can when you can go anywhere in the world and have an acoustic guitar in your hand and play somebody a beautiful wedding song and play a beautiful song at, at a funeral or be around a campfire and make people, you know, dance a little bit to something real country and poppy. It's just it's just kind of a, a, a nice mixed bag of an arsenal to have, not just rock and roll. And so just trying to try my hand at some different things and really enjoying it. Well, it's something you need great, nice. I, I'm, 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 something you need like a nice iced beverage, you know, <laughs> of, of your choice, just sitting back and uh, sipping while you're uh, while you're listening to it. Exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm just learning these songs now and I'm just going to keep playing them and keep playing them until I feel like I don't have to think about the words and the chords anymore, which it's going to take a little while. But once I get to that point, I, I think I'm just going to go around town and play for people in their in their houses and, and little pubs. Hey, you can play down here at Dice Cave. Come here, come here. <laughs> I want to figure out a way and just figure out a way to, you know, just like, you know, I've watched some, I, I really have, have, have really loved Ed Sheeran's story for a long time. And Ed, you know, for a long time, Ed got so good because he just, he played three or four shows a night. He played in people's backyards. He played in, you know, in people's living rooms. He just enjoyed telling these stories. And, um, you know, that's where the magic is. That's why I can play for myself in the basement and really have a great night, even if nobody's around, because you're, 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 you're playing music and, and trying to just feel something. And that's where I'm trying to write from a place that makes you feel something. And, right. and uh, if you can do that for other people, sometimes it's, it feels like it's worth it. Well, that's cool. Maybe, maybe we could set something up with a Midwest Best Barbecue, which if you have not had their chicken wings, I, I, I suggest you do it. It's, they're all out on the east side, but maybe you go out there and you, we can set something up there. You, you can play there sometime. Where, where, where'd Tim go to high school, Jeff? <clears throat> Who? Tim from Midwest Best Barbecue. Where'd he go to high school? I don't Milford? know. It's a, it's a, Milford? I, I, east side? I don't know. Whatever. East side? Yeah. West side, baby. You know. You know. <laughs> Bronson knows what side's the best side. <laughs> well, hey. All the guys that worked in the clubhouse for all those years are from the west side, so I got I got to give it up to the west. Yeah, baby. <laughs> That's right. why people up in the owners box were all from the east side. That's true. That's, That's true. true. That's, true. That's, That's true. true. But hey, if you got to choose, if yeah. you have to choose, the, those are, flying yeah. on the private jet or freaking, you know, digging the digging the digging the the, the ditch with your boy from the west side, <laughs> you got to pick your boy from the west side. So I'm talking about Bronson. So I'm talking about baby. All right, we got a question for Tim Daniel. Uh, he said, "How cool." Was to have your old teammates come back and celebrate your Reds Hall of Fame induction. Yeah, it was great. You know, not only was the, the Hall of Fame induction, but the day I retired on the field, you know, just having guys like Johnny Cueto and, and um, you know, Theo Epstein and people like that pop up on the Jumbotron and give you some love. And during, during my, um, you know, Hall of Fame induction thing there, before I got up on the stage, Dusty Baker and, and David Ross popped on the screen and Joey Votto. And, you know, you don't get to see guys that you played with. Sometimes, you know, Baseball players, when you play for such a long time at the big league level, you know, it becomes your family. You're around them a lot more than anybody else in your life. And sometimes they become closer than, to you than your childhood friends. And, and then you leave the game and sometimes you don't see these guys for a long time. So to see them come back and, and just give me some love, you know, it's, it's just a beautiful thing, man, because the, the wheel just keeps turning. And then now Joey Votto is going to be the guy sitting there and, and I'm going to get to jump on the screen and give him some yeah. love one of these days. Right. And, and so, it's um you know it's 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 nice to be part of it. it 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 always feels good to catch up with old guys like that yeah that was awesome i remember i was at, i was i was there we were up at the uh, bow tie uh deck up there at the and you guys got the speeches done right before the bottom fell out of out of the sky and it started pouring down rain on us and you i think you got the yeah. got the, the opening day pitch out too before all that happened so that, that was a fun night the actually the reds won that if i remember right i think the reds won that night in, in that in that game but that I, was didn't fun. Much, huh? I didn't get to see much of the game. I ended up in a, up in a owner's box with Pete Rose and and uh, a bunch a bunch of guys, and we were just kind of chewing the fat, uh, you know, catching up. We missed a bunch of the game, just Man. like you know, when you see some of the old guys like that, that's the thing. It's like you're you're catching up from old times. Even guys like Pete that I didn't know until I was well into my you know baseball career. You know, when you when when your craft has been the same, you have this right. mutual respect, 
And um, there's a real kinship there, even if you didn't know them on a personal level before that. I think a really interesting conversation would be listening to Pete Rose and Joey Votto discuss hitting. That would be that would be a very interesting conversation. It's kind of like how I I get lost in in, in your conversation when you just describe how you you were you were a thinking man's pitcher of how you're trying to get the guy the guy out with the different arm angles and to change the speeds up and everything you did throughout your career. That's that's what that's why I respect what you did, and I think more guys need to do that more because we're getting we had this conversation before we're getting too much into you know the speed 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 which yeah if you can throw 97 that's great but if you change speeds a little bit you keep guys off balance i think that prolongs your career uh, i mean you pitched almost 20 right. years well you know you know what it is is that it doesn't matter what the velocity is it's it, if a guy wants to sit at 97 for the whole night he needs to be able to throw 101 that's the mm-hmm. thing it's like if you can only throw 90 then you want to sit at like 87 right so you always want to be pitching you know, 5% down from where it is your max is. You cannot live at max effort, even if you only throw 80 miles an hour. If, if, if Tim Wakefield, the knuckleballer threw every knuckleball as hard as he could, he'd break as well, right? You just can't sustain having pedal to the metal the whole time. So regardless of what the velocity is, you just need guys to get out with a little bit less. And sometimes it's hard to convince people to do that because when they give up big hits with what they consider to be less, they feel like they failed themselves, right. but not realizing that if you really want to get deep in ball games and get deep into a career and have a healthy arm for a long period of time, it's got to be done. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so you, you brought up knuckleball there. We have a, a former, well, he's not, he's red now, uh, infielder. Uh, I, 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 why can't I think of his name, Joe? Who's the one trying to come back with the, the knuckleball? Alex Blandino. Alex Blandino, yeah, he's an infielder for the Reds a couple years back, and now he's coming back and trying to make it as a, a knuckleball pitcher, and I saw him – a couple of blowout games when he was a red, he he came in and pitched. His his knuckleball is actually pretty good. I I would love to see him succeed. I don't know if he's going to or not because the knuckleball I think is extremely hard to throw. I've tried to throw it. I have no idea how in the world anybody could throw it. But uh, what, what's your thoughts of other guys? Like this is where I thought too. It's like some people like in the minor leagues they got a really good arm, but they just can't hit. You know they can't get up a hit up, hit enough to get up to the major leagues that other guys don't switch and try to become pitchers or vice versa. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a tough road. I mean, with the knuckleball, it's obviously a totally different ball game. You don't, you're not going to probably break your Tommy John ligament throwing a knuckleball, but nope. um, you know, I, I, the guy that I said was in the rookie league with me was a kid named Alex Pena. We played with all through the minor leagues with the pirates together. And I was just running those baseball camps with him over in New York yesterday. And he, you know, he was an outfielder for us for four or five years, got on the mound in a blowout game and wind up just lobbing the ball at 94 miles an hour. And this is back when nobody could throw a hundred. And I mean, nobody, you had like Rob Nen touching 99 and, and Kyle Farnsworth on steroids touching 99 to hundred. But this kid, this kid was throwing a hundred. Yeah. This kid was throwing a hundred all natural without even ever pitching before. But what he didn't realize was the amount of torque it took to do that over and over and over again. And so his arm just wouldn't survive, you know, over the years he was constantly hurt. And, he, and, and then eventually he lost his opportunities that he had, at the, you know, to get to the major leagues because of it. And, you know, with Blandino, I hope I hope it works out. But, I, you know, Blandino such a young guy and such a, a good player still. I'm surprised that yeah. he's pulled the plug on being a, on, on an infielder just yet because, I mean, I felt like he was he was a pretty good ball player while he was here. He did, he did all right. Uh, the the biggest memory I have for him is him winning the uh, the standoff, you know, when they would do the, the – the, uh, the national anthem. The national anthem. Thing. I want to say the yeah. American flag. The national anthem. Yeah, and he won the stand-up. By the way, just to let you know, this is always in the ice cave. This is the autograph I got from you last time I, I got to hang out with you. So I just want to let you know, you're all, you're always in the ice cave here, Bronson, with me. So. Wait. Hey, you've been on for 54 minutes. I appreciate it. Joe, you got any, one last question or anything you want to ask before we let him go? Yes. All the personalities that you played with. I mean, you a few years in uh, Pittsburgh, a few years in um, Boston, and then all the years here in Cincinnati. Junior, Dunn, Brandon Phillips, Votto, crazy Ryan Friel or guys in Boston like Big Poppy, Manny Millar. Who's the most outrageous guy? Like, obviously, there's. I'm, I'm sure there are a ton of stories that you can't, you can't uh, tell you, us. You, <laughs> right, you'd probably be breaking some uh, uh, NDA to be telling us, but but who's the most outrageous guy just hanging out with or just being stuck on a plane or uh, in a bus with? I'd say um, the most entertaining guy who brought the most to the table, you know, day in and day out, who wasn't – he was – he's seemingly crazy – the same way Will Ferrell is, right? He's real, you're, you're probably not going to find Will Ferrell, you know, like actually doing something that's putting his life in danger. Although I play with some guys like that, you know, Ryan Friel, there's Friel. a great story about, there's a great story about Ryan Friel who popped the emergency exit out of the top of a bus in Pittsburgh one night and <laughs> climbed up on the roof, Teen Wolf style, and was going to 
crawl to the front of this Greyhound bus and scare the bus driver while he's going 70 miles an hour down the mountain like this. What? And you know that that's that's real crazy. But yeah. I would say the guy who was most entertaining and who gave you a feel like he was crazy every day was Kevin Millar. Millar, was, okay. He was a master. Kevin Millar is, is closer to a Saturday Night Live guy than anybody else ever played with, and and you see it in the show. It's what makes yeah, him so yeah. entertaining. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Have you been? Have you you've been on the show? Haven't you? Have you been on Millar's show before? Yeah, not? yeah. I've been on Intentional Talk a few times. Yeah, okay. while I was playing. And afterwards, I used to send him all kinds of crazy stuff, like yeah. solving a Rubik's cube underwater and stuff, just for, just for entertainment <laughs> value. Yeah, I thought, I thought I thought I saw you under. I thought I thought you were. Anyway, Bronson, dude, as always, I appreciate you. You've been on for fifty six minutes. Anything you want to plug? Any of your albums or anything? Anything uh, coming up with shows or anything you want to plug before I let well, you go? If anybody wants to listen to some, might say it's up. It's up on uh, Apple Music and Spotify and all the places you can listen to it. And um, I'll have hopefully some of this new music coming out at some point. But uh, if you, if you're around town, check. Check the Bronson Arroyo Band Facebook page. We'll be playing on the west side coming up over at the Pirates Den again. Um, but March 16th, we're over at the Blue Note. Okay. And uh, we always keep that updated. So if you want to come out and listen to some Pearl Jam or some Beatles and some some Tom Petty, man. Uh, oh, yeah. Always ripping. I, I will I will look that up. I will, I will meet you at, at the Pirates on the west side. Cause, you know, it's the best side, Bronson. Duh. I will cross I will cross the uh, checkpoint and make my way over. He's got to go. go, get. He's got to be a little, you know, dusted off or where he, he can't be all spiffy from the east side. So, you know. <laughs> anyway, go, Bron- go slum it. No, no I, yeah, dude, exactly. I would love love to see you live at wherever you know wherever it may be. So, there you go. Bronson, appreciate you, man. Thanks as always, buddy. All right, fellas. Jeff, Joe, later, man. Take Thanks, Bronson. Dude, are you really going to come to the west side? Are you? I, I don't know if we're going to let you over here. I mean, over, I've hung out with you several times. Don't <laughs> give me that shit. <laughs> You keep you keep asking me for some weird reason. I mean, and, and like, like, I, I so. Oh. Okay. So we had we had delicious pizza last night watching watching uh, football. By the way, it was it was La Rosa's. That's the best pizza. Just saying. Whatever. Dude. Have Have you heard of Dewey's? I've heard. Of, I've had Dewey's. Yes. There's, I, I was gonna say. There's, I think there's Dewey's out in uh, Green Township, out out by Dent, isn't there? Uh, there's one. Yeah, I think so. I know there's one. Out on Harrison or close to that. Cause my wife worked out in Dent, and I think there's one closer than that. Like. That's good pizza. Go and get I the uh, say it's bad pizza. Just Edgar Allan Poe or the. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's the roses. Ryan's in, Ryan's in front. And then there's everything else. I mean, yeah, just can't help it. There's the roses. Then there's something that just got run over by a by, by a semi truck. <laughs> then there's like, you know, like to, uh, Tony's frozen pizza. Oh my god. Hopefully none of the La Rosa's family. Like, I worked for you guys for a year when I was a teenager. Like it's, I, I just don't care for the pizza. I like all the other shows. Like hey, if you want to sponsor the show, Calzones. sponsor my show. Don't sponsor the Bengals show. He doesn't like the Rosa. Sponsor sports strawberry ice. Calzones are great. Baked buddies, <laughs> like those, like that, that. Those are cool. Like I just, I just don't oh, care God. for the pizza. All right, man. I gotta get the hell out of here. I got another show up here in about a half hour. Corey Dillon's gonna be on, but uh, you know, plug some. You're running through all this. All, you're going through all the Cincinnati luminaries, man. Me, I know. Well, Bronson, hope... Corey Dillon, God, yeah. man, it's rolling with the heavyweights. I like. I like how you put yourself up there with Bronson. First, you know? man, first. Exactly. Hopefully, I got Trenton Irwin coming on Wednesday. I'm still working on that one, and I got Brad, uh, Ashcraft uh, coming on uh, next Thursday. You're hitting all the all the uh, commercial stars too. <sighs> Ti with his uh, soup. No, what was his commercial? Who? Trenton Irwin. He did a commercial. Yeah, when he was a kid. Oh, always oh, a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, what I was that? Remember. I, I have to ask him again. I can't remember what it was. I asked him before. I know. I don't remember. You guys know where to find me. I'm, I'm here all the damn time. Uh, the Bengals show, Riverfront Cincy. Uh, I mean, we've, we've got 8 million shows, and we're good people. Jeff, I appreciate you having me on, as always, my man. This was all a right, hell of a lot of fun. Cool. Hey, maybe next time we'll be able to get Nate on here. We'll have to actually be an adult. Have to, you know, you can, you know, Responsibilities, man. bullshit. Adulting no. sucks. Right. I know. <laughs> See you, dude. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Go check out Bronson on uh, iMusic, uh, Spotify, all that cool stuff. He's on there. Uh, go check him out. Uh, the, Alex, go look at Bronson Royal Band. All his uh, dates and everything, where he's going to be at, it's going to be on there. So make sure you check it out. Uh, come check me out here in about a half hour. I got me and Corey and Cap going to be uh, recapping the AFC NFC Championship game. But for the show, thanks for watching. Uh, if you're checking it out on ZTV or YouTube or any of the other ones, uh, hit the thumbs up, hit the likes, and please subscribe. Like I said, we're on ZTV. YouTube, I'm at 2,499 subscribers. Facebook, 3,489X, 3,968. 
And of course, I'm pulling that sound off later on tonight on the podcast on Beanpod, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitch Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure you rate, like, and review. Leave a comment some more since they fans to find my podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram, Threads, TikTok. Other than that, I'll see you guys here in about a half an hour. Ready? Throw it up. That's your sports, baby. See ya!